Another episode of Back of the Net and Beyond. Today I'm going to be speaking to my old mate Simon Ray, who used to play for Birmingham City and Peterborough United. How's it going, mate? You okay? Yeah, all good, thank you, mate. Long time no see, man. How's things? You still got your hair, I see. Yeah, nice and blonde. <laughs> Won't lose nothing. Nah, you're looking well, mate. Um, yeah, how's things at the moment? What are you up to? Uh, yeah, it's quieting down a bit. Um, I'm getting through it by doing a bit of coaching, a bit of one-on-one. Um, and then once this is over, get back to doing groups and uh, a bit of sports massage that I've set up. But yeah, on the whole, quite quiet. Just looking for a bit of contact soon, a bit of social contact. Yeah, I think we're kind of, we're through the, the worst of it, I think. I think maybe another probably six months or so and then back to normal, hopefully. Um, but yeah, I mean, you mentioned that you're still kind of involved, you're still coaching to a certain degree. So what, what age group are you coaching at the moment? I'm doing all sorts. Um, I'm not overly fussed. Uh, it can range from about eight to 16, 17, um, all the way through the academy lads, the lads that are just beginning. Um, uh, there's nothing that, I mean, I can't really show them at that age. So, yeah, whoever wants, whoever's interested. Um, I'm that based down Racing Club Warwick, so it's a good facility. Um, yeah, it's, it's something I love doing, enjoyed, studied for. So, uh, if I can continue doing it, I'll be uh, I'll be on the right path, I think. Happy days. And how are you finding it, kind of seeing things from a different perspective? Because obviously, we've all, well, we've both played the game. And sometimes when you're a player and you've got coaches saying this and that and talking to you about kind of how you should perform, how they want you to play, sometimes you've got your own ideas as a player. Now you're saying you're, you're coaching. How are you seeing it from the other side of the fence? Um... Yeah, I think you've got to be flexible with the ages. Um, I don't think you've got to be too pushy, but yeah, you make them understand there's the standards um, and there's a the work ethic uh, and work with them rather than just telling them what to do, how to do it. Uh, if you can sort of collaborate and, and work like that, I always think you get more response off them. Um, the enthusiasm, I mean, kicks in because you're manipulating it and you're kind of convince them it's their idea um, they're more willing and responsive to suggestions so yeah it's just a matter of finding a balance of, of what I expect um, like I said with that work ethic and what they want to get out of the session and meet somewhere in the middle. Nice that's massive and you mentioned their kind of sports massage so talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah it's been a bit of a disaster so far literally the the week before I was due to open up my website and flies and everything. We got locked down. So, um, I mean, it's probably easier if I take you back a few years before that. Obviously, I've um, I come out of football and I did my sports coaching degree uh, with the intention of lecturing and, and coaching, uh, but never really took to lecturing. Um, went to Birmingham, met for a little bit. Then did a HND in sports and exercise sciences um, and then did another degree. Uh, diploma in lifelong learning so yeah. it was my intention to go down that route but it never really panned out the way I envisioned it um, so out of the blue a friend said do you want to be a surveyor um, and I jumped at it it was a good package in general like I was saying yeah. before I was good in general uh, never 
thought of doing it. Um, flexible hours, good pay. And I did that for about four, four and a half years. Uh, then we got, I had an operation, got ill. And when I came out of it, I had no job. So I had to reassess I mean, where I was going, what I was doing. I had a family, house. Um, and then Louis, my little boy, plays for Birmingham Academy. So to give him the best chance, I want to be self-employed. So that's where the idea of sports massaging, stroke co football coaching came in. Um, I can keep that flexibility with my hours and try and build up a client base because um, it's, it's something I've studied for throughout the football side. But on top of that, I actually did a diploma in sports massage. <laughs> so wow. quite a well-rounded thing. So I'm fully qualified and everything. But like I said, a week before, it's all due to kick off if we get locked down. So it's something I've got to revisit and uh, get the advertising done. But if I can do that with my coaching and keep my hours flexible, I can give Louis the best chance of doing something he might want to do. Mm, that's massive, man. It shows that you're obviously thinking about the future. Um, and it's always more, in some ways, easier to, to think about the future, especially when you've got a family. Um, obviously, we've known each other for years and we knew each other before we had a family. Um, and you're always more selfish as an individual when you haven't got a partner or a child or children to look after. Um, as soon as you have your first one, I always tell people it's like that moment of reality where it's no longer about you, it's about them. Yeah. Um, so completely understand where you're coming from from that perspective. Um, but just to go back slightly, so you mentioned about obviously it's brilliant that you've got all these qualifications. And obviously you've gone to uni, you've got a couple of degrees I think you mentioned uh, earlier as well up there. So how did you find kind of studying? Um, because again, I know you as a, as a person, obviously we've socialized in that, kind of grew up together in, in quarters, sections of our life. Um, but I never saw you as like someone to go, uh, go and study at uni and stuff. And I know people had a perception, or still have a perception about me as well, with certain elements, and they get surprised as well. So um, again, so for me, I don't know that side of you. So how did you find obviously going and studying and getting your degrees and things like that? Without doubt, the hardest thing um, I've done um, mentally, it was just draining. Uh, I was completely out of my comfort zone. Mm. Um, but I knew it was a necessity to stand me above the rest of the coaches that I wanted to go into. Because a lot of lads have got B um, licenses, whatever. But you, not many, more so now, but when I did it 10 years ago, you were, it was quite a rare thing to have your B license and a coaching degree. So I really wanted to stand out, um, and that was my path. So that's why I did the HND Sports and Exercises and the Lifelong Learning all in one go. Uh, but without doubt, it was horrendous. Um, but it was a means to an end. I had my motivation. My little one was just born. Um, and I couldn't not have a direction. I, could, I didn't want to be in limbo, um, you know, a couple of years here and there ended up being like that in general with that sort of qualification and wherever I want to go. Um, if I don't go down the self-employed route in a few years time, I might be able to present myself in a way that I've had that football background and I've had a academic, I mean. Yeah, that's massive. Yeah. You mentioned there, obviously as well. So you mentioned that obviously you've, you've transitioned and obviously you've got the qualifications and stuff. And then you said you didn't want to be in limbo, but by nature, sometimes even though you've got somewhere that you want to be, 
it's going to be a rocky road sometimes. And this is one of the elements that I always try and explain to people because sometimes people look at me and think, okay, well, like, how have you done it? I think I was one of the lucky ones just purely because went for an interview. Two interviews later, I've got a job. And that was kind of three months after retiring from football, so to speak, purely out of choice. Um, so again, there was a few different kind of facets that allowed me to make the transition pretty smooth. Um, other people may be cut short because of retirement uh, due to injury or whatever. Um, so it's slightly different, but it, as long as you've got a direction and you kind of you understand where you want to go, it's not always going to be smooth. There may be like ups and downs and like you said there. So it doesn't mean to say that because you've got a direction and it hasn't worked initially and you haven't fulfilled it, it doesn't mean you've failed, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it wasn't a case of a failure it was just something that right it would be a, a shame to waste my football background mm. so I was never going to do a business degree I was never going to do I mean art or drama it mm. made sense to me um, that I combined something and mm. every coach I ever spoke to I think I came across one or two that had that academia combined with things so I, to me it made sense even mm. though like I I hated every second of it, hated every lecture, yeah. uh, but I've been through worse. So it was something that needed to be done. It gave me a direction, it gave me a purpose, mm. um, but it wasn't like a sudden decision. Yeah. I saw my end coming at football before it did because of my hip, because of the injuries and stuff. So it wasn't like one day this, one day that. It was right, I can see this happening to me now. I can't train properly. You know, I'm putting on weight. I can't. It's just not the same anymore. And it went from the love of my life, football, to it was a chore. It was painful. So within that like little time frame, I knew that I needed to start looking ahead. Um, I didn't want to. Um, it hurt to look ahead. And like I said before, it's it was almost an admission that I ain't got enough money for the rest of my life to to be comfortable very few have so i mean mm. give yourself that round of face and face up to it and mm. you've got to crack on um it's yeah. not something when we first started out in football we all in our naivety thought we were going to have enough money to do what we want forever and it's just not the reality of it so mm. the earlier you can come to terms with that the easier it is to have something where you can go on the second part of your life. You know, I mean, we all did all right out of football, but there's very few that I mean, are going to just sit on their asses for the next 30 years. Yeah, 100%. And I think, I think what helped you as well as me was like we never really had that, that ego. I suppose it's probably because we never played at the higher echelons of football for a sustained period, but I'd like to think it's down to our personalities and upbringing. We never had that ego whereby we'd always approach people with kind of the, the football kind of mentality or the sports person mentality whereby I'm a footballer and then I'm Cyre second. It was always like Cyre first and then, okay, yeah, I played football. And I think that probably helped you with your transition. I know it certainly helped me because when it came to me telling people I no longer play anymore, now I'm doing X, Y and Z, it was always a case of, oh, wow, that's like, that's really good. How have you managed to get that job? Did you know someone working there? And it was like, no, I just went for an interview like anyone else. So they were more shocked than anything. Whereas I know 
certain people I've spoke to outside of the podcast have been stuck in that like football bubble in inverted commas whereby they're surrounded by all the elements that, and all the trappings that come with football and they don't want to let go of it and sometimes that makes it more difficult to them for them to kind of retire if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And I was always very aware, um, I was made aware of it from the, some of the older pros, especially ones at Birmingham, about keeping it in check because it it can go as quickly as it came, football. Mm. And there's not much to shout about because what I said to you before the hammer, a lot of football is lies and crap. It, it is. It's just part and parcel of the business. Yeah. So... The more you, you go t- shouting, the more you go telling people, the harder the fall is. Mm. I mean, and I was very wary of that. And I was never one to, like you said, I was never one to shout about it unless I was asked. Because uh, I didn't want the attention. Because I, I weren't David Beckham. I weren't, you know what I mean? It, mm. The reality is, in a few years' time, you're not going to be a footballer. So just keep it in check. Mm. You know what I mean? Be polite. You know I mean, don't go causing hassle for people because in a few years you're probably going to be asking them for a job so (laughs) yeah to me it was never an issue um but again like i said to you the ego inside you and the naivety it can hold you back about that transition and it can hold you back um about seeking a career after football because you've got to admit to yourself first and then friends and family or all them people you they thought you were going all, all the way to the top that mm. I actually didn't so mm. some people withdraw from that some people hide from it and would rather stay in limbo and pretend they're all right but actually are really struggling mm. um, and some people you know what I mean takes a little bit longer and then it, but some people are fine with it like you people are fine well I did this but now I'm doing that mm. and whatever you think of me so be it. But eventually you've got to get there or you're just going to have no money, nowhere to go. Mm. I mean, and you know as well as anyone, your circle dries up pretty quickly <laughs> when you, your friends when you're finished. You know what I mean? So you've got to do something off your own back. And this is where a lot of people struggle and fall down. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, 100%. And I agree with kind of everything you said there. In terms of your... Uh, transferable skills because I know you said you transitioned out and you kind of had your ups and downs but it seems like you, you've done well with it and you had your head screwed on how did you like what transferable skills did you take from football to enable you to go and go and seek uh, advice in terms of getting a degree obviously getting your degrees that's another thing uh, and then obviously starting up your business obviously we know the situation there with COVID and it's kind of held back a little bit now you're coaching as well so what have you taken from football in terms of transferable skills to enable you to do those things? Yeah, I mean, I think a few people have said that to me before about that. And I, it makes sense to me if your transferable skills are joined to something you know. Um, so you haven't got to go too far afield for them transferable skills to be relevant. Um, I couldn't talk for people that go in completely different directions and what jobs. I've never done it. So for me to talk about that is... I mean, it's, it's not, not something I have any knowledge about. But as far as the coaching, I had 15, 16, 17 years of being surrounded by some of the good ones and some terrible ones. Mm-hmm. And you learn just as much off either of them. 
um, I had the enthusiasm and the willingness to always like the tactical side of stuff. So I always paid attention to that. Not everyone's cup of tea, but it was mine. Mm. Um, and then the work ethic and the standards I always set for myself. I mean, I didn't make it to the top for a lot of reasons, but it was never one. They were never one of them. I mean, I'd always work. I'd always do that little bit that I had to do even for this. So these sort of transferable skills um, are obviously big things within that sports environment and combine that with the coaching and the academia of understanding the different coaching techniques, uh, nutrition and, and analysts, all that sort of stuff. It all combined well and that just made sense for me. So um, it's, it's a path that I was willing to, to do that little bit extra for because I knew my transferable skills from football would help me in the coaching. And I, I suspect that's right for a lot of people um, within the football environment. Mm. But a lot of lads can't articulate it. A lot of lads are afraid. A lot of lads um, would rather step back than maybe put themselves forward and be embarrassed. Mm. And it, it's part and parcel of the journey when you, when you finish football. You've got to put yourself out there. Definitely. 100%, mate. And if you don't, people just end up tramping all over you, as you know, um, and just bypassing you. So. Yeah, you're 100% right there. You do need to put yourself forward. Sometimes you need to come out of your comfort zone. Um, and sometimes, I'd probably say, I mean, I'm not an expert, but elements of like anxiety whereby basically anxiety is more or less you're thinking about something that hasn't actually happened yet. So, so basically, you're having those thoughts of, oh, well, I don't want to answer this question or I don't want to put myself forward for fear of embarrassment. When in fact, if you did actually put yourself forward, not only are you going to gain experience from that, but it's probably not going to be as bad as your first sport anyway. Um, so yeah. unless you do it, you're never going to know. So what you're well, saying is probably... perfect example of that was, is the interview process. You yeah. can't... But someone that's like us, that's been born and bred football, and all of a sudden you've got to go and interview, you've got to know hardly anything about that anxiety. You have quite a few lads pull back. They don't go to the interviews. They don't... I mean, I know this because, like I said to you before, I did my um, dissertation on the PFA and what they can do, what we do do, the good, the bad and all that. And I did quite a few interviews and they, it was all a common thread, anxiety, out of the comfort zone, ego. Um, and the other one, the other um, big common thread was reading between the lines is we walk quite a lonely path we might footballers might seem social they might seem like they're but in, it's quite a lonely thing yeah. that you do at times um and it sounds bizarre to people but i'm not on about we're not um looking for sympathy or anything it's just quite a lonely thing you do yeah and a lot of people take that approach to then doing stuff by themselves and going but we don't i don't want to seek help and this yeah. is where that little PFA link come in and the lack of understanding of, well, I've done this by myself all, all these years for football. No one helped me with this. I'll go and do the same. And it's not quite the same process as in, yeah. mm. you know I mean? and they won't go for interviews. They won't, they won't put themselves out there because they don't want to look for help. And they go back to that little ego thing is if I ask for help, they're going to know I failed at football where, as I said again before, it's not about the failure. It's just that 
the reality is you've done all right, but you can't retire. Yeah. And that's it. But you didn't battle. You've played football for 10, 15 years, mm. but you haven't got five million in the bank, unfortunately. Mm. So all these little things accumulate and it's uh, it, it, that anxiety, like you said, it just all combines and, and holds people back and uh, mm. stops them transitioning anywhere near as easy as it is actually is if you've mm. just got out there. Exactly. And if you think about it, let's say the average age, I mean, I don't know statistics and things like that, but let's call it hypothetically, you retire when you're 33, 34, whatever. You've still got a massive chunk of your life to, to live going forward. Now, when you're 18 and you're speaking to the older pros or whatever it is, whatever sport you're, you're in, and you're speaking to the older ones who may be coming to the end of their career, and you're looking at them, I did it myself, you're looking at them thinking, mate, you're like 34, 35, you're proper old. And then you get to that age or near it and you're thinking, I've lived half of my life. I still probably haven't discovered myself. I've got so much more to give, so much more to learn. So again, if people look at it and approach it with that kind of mindset, it will make it easier as well. Yeah. But trying to tell that to 18, 19, 20, 24, 25, 26, you still think, I remember, I remember the feeling, you think you're invincible, you think, right, my next contract, that's going to be it. I'm going to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to retire. It's just not reality. And I've almost given up trying to tell people it because you, you've got to find it by yourself. Yeah. And I didn't because uh, I thought that I've still got another 10 years left. But in reality, uh, I had about four or five before my hip went and the rest mm -hmm. of the injuries. So, yeah, it's, it's not a nice thing to look at from the outside because you know what they're going through. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why I always try and help the lads at, um, when I can. But, as long as you're there and you're talking and you're and you're communicating, I think you'll you'll come out the other side, all right. Mm, definitely. Do you miss playing at all or not? No, not at all. Like I, like I said, that at the end it was painful for me. Um, I ripped cartilage in my hip, which I've still got um, trouble with now. I've had mm. about five injections in. Um, I had some badly timed injuries from my ankle and my both medials when um, well, that's how I kind of I, I finished at Peterborough. I got off the bus at Brighton, uh, got off the coach, playing cards all the way back, stepped off it, and I couldn't. I just collapsed. Um, wow. Don't know how it. No, don't know how I did it. And uh, I didn't really play for Peterborough again after that. Did a pre-season, couldn't get through it, put on weight, and then ended up going Kidderminster, Cambridge. Mm. I mean, but I knew by then it wasn't right, and then that extra. Um, bit of unfitness, my hip went, and then that was it's pretty much the end of the line for me. And I was only 31, so mm. yeah, mm. crazy times, man. Crazy times. Talk to me about your career. So, obviously, you started at Birmingham, uh, so you're what four or five years older than me. Um, yeah. so I remember obviously when you were there and stuff, and I used to speak to you, um, about kind of training and things like that because obviously you're years ahead of me from that perspective. So Talk to me about Birmingham and like your debut for Birmingham. Oh, wow. Um, well, well, 17, I think I was, just turned. I was, it was good pre-season. We played Chelsea in a pre-season game. Um, and I, what did I do? I went up for a header in my last pre-season game. Baz said to me, go and get half an hour more. Um, or oh, 17, yeah, 
17, said, go and get another half for the uh, under-21s. Mm. Went up for a hair, bust my ankle. Didn't make my debut, got back from that. And then eventually at 18, I, uh, I made my proper debut. Mm. Um, but then Baz got sacked. So I ended up not doing anything. Trevor Francis came in, bought Steve Bruce and Gary Ablett. Uh, and I stayed there too long. I should have left then, gone with Baz to Peterborough. Um, but it, people give you contracts, you're comfy. You kind of I lost sight of what I was supposed to be doing. Young lad in the middle of Birmingham with his best mates. You know how it goes. Yeah. You soon lose. You soon lose focus. Um, but eventually, it was uh, there was just too many people in front of me. I was never getting in that team. And Baz says come over to Peterborough, and I spent six years there. Mm. Um, wish I'd done it earlier. Uh, but you live and learn, don't you? Mm. And uh, then moved on to a few of the clubs, Cambridge, like I said, Kidderminster, and then just started declining. Mm. Uh, but yeah, Birmingham was uh, was eventful. It was um, it could have been a whole lot different, but just badly timed injuries. Um, every time I was getting forward, I'd, I'd do my medial, bust my ankle. Um, but as I said. A story a lot of lads can say that it never worked out at their first club, but you find your feet. And lucky I had a manager that knew me. Um, and weirdly enough, my debut was up front for Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, at the youth team, I was scored about 27 from centre half. And then Baz, instead of giving him a debut like Baz does in your normal position, he said, I need some goals. And he ended up putting me up front with Steve Claridge. So probably why I didn't play again. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's random. Um, I mean, that sounds crazy to me, but um, obviously, massive uh, achievement to make your debut, especially so young as well. Um, so, yeah, especially back in the day, because it's completely different now in terms of, like, uh, obviously, finances and the pitches and all the kind of infrastructure behind it and the style of play as well. Um, and then, obviously, you drop down. So, how did you find, like, dropping down the leagues in terms of, the physical side of it, obviously the standard, uh, the facilities, things like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, at Blues, I'd already had a taste of it. So I went to Kettering on loan for a bit when I was younger as well. So that was a real eye-opener as far as training in the evening, no pre-matches, long coach journey. So it wasn't, I mean, that really shocked me when I first did it at 17, mm. where it um, So... When I went to the Nanitans and Redditches and things like that, I only knew what to expect, um, mm. even though it was a long time ago. But at that point, I was I couldn't train properly. I couldn't move properly. Um, I put on about stone. So it was just it was it was a non-starter really. Even mm. though I was trying my hardest, I gave everything for them. I was nowhere near the standard I knew that I, I needed to be. But it kind of kick-started me and this is what I said to you earlier about me seeing the end before it came mm. and then two or three years it was a it was a harsh lesson that it's coming to an end you, you've got lads that are non-league and they're still they're twice as fit as you and it shouldn't mm. be that way so um, it, it was a good and bad thing really it was hard to take but it kick-started me in the right direction for the future mm. Massive. Just coming to an end now is kind of something I always ask, like, obviously we've covered a broad range of, of topics and stuff, but 
like going back slightly or even going forward, do you think do you think more help's needed uh, when it comes to like player retirement? And I'm talking about again all the organisations that you come up against when you're playing football. I'm talking football as well as other sports now. So the PFA, um, I know the Cricket Association, or cricket players have got like a, the equivalent of the PFA as well. The FA, any other kind of organisations, do you think they need to help players more? Do you think players need to help themselves more? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I was PFA delicate. And so I knew what they did in a bit more depth than the average person. And that's why I was intrigued to do my dissertation on them because I kind of knew the ins and outs of it. Um, and they do do far more than people actually realise. They give you a lot of help. Um, and they progress every year, I think, or every other year in little bits. Mm. But as far as helping lads... 18, 19, 20, 21, that all they can do is give information and be there. So because you know, as well as I do, how many, we didn't listen. I don't know any 18 year olds that listen, 19, 20, 21, which that again, it's almost, you've got to contemplate that you're not going to be a millionaire. And it's almost, it's almost unimaginable at that age. You're not going to be a millionaire and you're not going to, you're going to have to, you know what I mean? Go out and work ever. So, I think that all they can do is give the information, be proactive, make sure people are coming into clubs, force the issue a little bit, but I can't see how drowning them information is going to help them because they're just not going to listen. They're going to switch off. Mm -hmm. So I haven't got the answer for it. I don't know that happy medium about the information being there, making mm -hmm. sure that they're a bit proactive about going into clubs and just checking on lads and, having that helpline that's been mentioned at the moment about lads being released. Um, how many are going to contact them? I don't know. Even if it's one or two, it's going to be worth it. Um, but I honestly haven't got the answer because I wouldn't have done it. I I'm pretty sure I if I was released at 18, I wouldn't have called them. I I'd have just sodgy sort of attitude. You know what I mean? I, got I just don't know. So I think as long as the information's there and information for the parents as well, um, and that support bubble within the club, maybe have a, if they can afford it, a PFA rep for every club that every end of every season or that retain and release date, make sure they're there, especially mm -hmm. in that first couple of weeks where it's a shock to the body. Mm -hmm. After that shock disappears, everyone I spoke to, it does, it does deteriorate a little bit, but that first month or two months where you're thinking, oh my God, it's the end, I can't ever see my future. And that's when, disaster happens and they take their lives mm. so again i'm not sure if one easy fix maybe a combination of it all mm. but i did when i did the station it was a big thing that they weren't proactive a little bit more mm. on these sort of issues yeah. um, and obviously it's come to light a lot more lately with the lads taking their lives but that retaining release they needs to be combined with a, a whole lot of support, I think. Definitely. I think the support's got to come from all quarters. So you've got the organisations like the FA and the PFA, but the clubs as well, they need to help the parents and also the players. But the parents, parents. have also got to help the kids as well. Um, because a lot, of, a lot of the kids are being influenced heavily by their parents. And naturally that would happen, but sometimes the players... Well, the parents haven't got the child's best interest at heart, or sometimes they're just not from a sporting background. 
So with you now, you've been there and done it, so you can educate Louis to a certain degree uh, of the pitfalls um, and also like the pros as well, as in the pros and cons. But some parents, they just don't know. I mean, my parents weren't from sporting background at all, but luckily I had my brother. And my, my take on it as well, my older brother, I've got a big family, but one of them, obviously Jeff, you know Jeff, he was the one that normally used to throw me around and stuff. But in terms of like my mindset, it was always like, if I don't make enough or if I can't see like a, an, av an avenue for me to make enough, I'm probably going to have to work. So that helped me a lot, um, although I still try to make it as much as possible. But it all depends on where you are and in terms of your journey and stuff. So there's no easy fix, like you said. It is, it is pretty difficult. It's hard to determine what's But it is very difficult. And yeah. what brought it home to me was Leon Mackenzie. Good mates at Peterborough, and we we didn't see each other. And I'm not saying it me; it's just everyone in general. But this that kind of thing really brought home to me. Jesus, I hadn't checked in on him for a year. Yeah. You know what I mean? I hear that, and then obviously Jay Lee was, you know, I mean, close to him. In. But it always made me think, wow, that can be anyone. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And Leon had a lot more life experience than some of these young lads who all they can see is that. Yeah. So for me, parents definitely educated. Maybe someone coming in in and around those, those time and dates just to say, look, this is A, B and C. And quite often, they, because they've always only been in one club, they don't actually realise that 99% of footballers, it's only your first club. So you yeah. might, I've commentary 14, then I got released at Birmingham. It's just your first club. Don't yeah. give up and educate them like this and keep going. And then when you're getting more life experience, them sort of rash, suicidal things kind of, you'd hope, disappear or yeah. subside a little bit. So, yeah, it's just a matter of support, 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 and educate the parents, make sure they're around, brothers and sisters. Yeah. All that's, even bring best friends in, I mean. Yeah, yeah, true, 100%. And in terms of advice, would you give, have you got any advice for any player now or any athlete? So I'm talking young, old, middle of their career. Any advice in terms of approaching retirement or preparing for it? It's going to be hard, and I've said it to quite a few lads. It's going to be hard. It's going to be uncomfortable. You're going to not want to talk to anyone. You're not going to. Want to you're going to have to go through a few months, maybe a year of, right. This isn't what I planned for. This is not what I want to do. But you've got to get through it. You've got to see it as early as possible. Realize that it's it's only part of your life, like you said and that there's a far bigger part to come. Now, it, like I said, it's, it's something we never thought, we never wanted to deal with, right up to what? When we were 26, 27, 28, we didn't even contemplate it because it was a, a form of failure in our eyes, but it's not. And this is what I said to you, you haven't failed because you've only played for 10 or 12 years. That's more than a lot of people and give the right arm to do. It's just yeah. a head start in life. And now it's the next second part of your journey is for you and your family rather than just you. But use it, use what you what motivates you, find something that, and you've got to be lucky as well. This is the other thing that everyone thinks about. Everyone thinks you've got to love what you do. It's rare. It is rare to love what you do. 
and just find something that's enjoyable or you can build on and work with it. And then quite often while you're doing that, something else might come along and, and pop up and you go in that direction. And all of a sudden you find what you want to do or something you can do well. And you earn more and more every year and get yourself back onto level field. And that's what I say to them, keep it real, drop the ego. I know it hurts, but everyone's got to go through it. And you've got to be extremely lucky to have a few million in the bank at the end of the day. And that's, I think that's keeping it as real as you can do. 100% mate. Appreciate you coming on. Love the chat. Um, obviously, uh, we need to catch up as and when we can. Uh, keep in touch. Just let everyone yeah. know where we can find you, whether it be social media, your coaching, um, obviously your massaging business. Where can we find you? Uh, well, the massage business will kick off in a bit, but the uh, the sport uh, the coaching is Evolve Four on Instagram, uh, number four. So Evolve Four, to get in touch. Um, I'm down based down Racing Club Warwick. Love what I do down there. Um, I've got time for anyone. Awesome, mate. Catch up soon, and again, appreciate your time. No worries, mate. Speak soon. All right. Mate. See you later. Take it easy.